Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey friends, uh, welcome to another episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Welcome. This is, uh, this is we're right in the middle of a series um, right now on power. Christians and power, the church and power, how we get power wrong. Um, you know what popped into my head when you said that? Which, which, uh, which did? Uh, what, what did? <laughs> Let me tell you which. Yeah. Uh, which thought popped into your head? <laughs> which of the many thoughts? The pic- a picture of He-Man. Remember He-Man? Oh, yeah. I used to watch He-Man all the time. Where he would transform by the power of Grayskull? By the power of Grayskull, that's right. And uh, he'd become super strong. Now, I heard a, I heard a, yeah, he, he yeah. would become, and I heard a rumor that he was like a Christian cartoon, like there was like Christian imagery in that. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like, like I had a Baptist friend in my neighborhood who mm-hmm. couldn't watch any secular TV or yeah. listen to secular music, yeah. but he could watch He-Man because it was oh. all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Well, I, I'm thinking of that, uh, you guys ever seen that um, uh, that that painting of Jesus on the cross, but he's like got huge biceps, and yeah. he's like breaking the cross? Yeah! <laughs> you guys ever seen that? No. Anyway. Uh, you think two- Jesus? You think Jesus would be on the power team? That's on right. the... Yeah, yeah, ripping phone books in half. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. maybe several examples of getting power wrong right there. So, um, well, uh, to to help us explore uh, this topic today, we've got our friend uh, Brian Zond with us. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. Good to be with you guys. Yes. He man, what in the heck? He man. <laughs> you remember he man? You ever watch that? 
Or I kind yeah, I sort of do, but I get He Man and Hulk mixed up. Oh, Hulk, yeah. I guess, is green. That's how you keep them straight, I guess. Yes. They yeah. both wear about the same amount of clothing. Yeah. And they <laughs> have the same amount of muscles. Yeah. One's kind of a fantasy. Now, the superhero genre is a little different than the fantasy kind of He Man world. So. Right. But yeah, I used to watch He Man all the time. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay. Power of Grayskull. Yeah. And what was the big cat's name? I'm I'm stuck on this now. I don't know. Uh, but all I can think of is like He-Man's codpiece and mm-hmm. how uncomfortable that thing looked. It was like this big metal thing and it was yeah. lots of chafing. <laughs> anyway, Brian. I would, I would assume. <laughs> <laughs> One would assume. Uh, yes. Yeah. So Brian. Brian's going Brian's gonna to join us. Uh, Brian's re- recently uh, written a book called Postcards from Babylon. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um and a lot of uh, what this, a lot of what's in this book, relates to this topic about Christians in power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Brian, tell us about why you wrote postcards from Babylon. Now, why now? Well, yeah, that's that's the key word. Now, um, I've been writing. I've written seven books in ten years, and so that's you know, that's writing. Um. This one, though, was different in that it was urgent. I mean, I felt it was urgent. I had a sense, okay, I need to write this now. This is for right now. And it's, I guess I would describe it, it's my attempt to address the crisis of fidelity that I see in much of the American church. I suppose, you know, you can use the word evangelical. Yeah. That very large swath. It seems to be inundated with a crisis of fidelity where um, Christian nationalism is eclipsing faithfulness to the Lamb of God. That's, you know, strong language, I suppose, but I, you know, I, I feel that. I sense it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always lurked there. I mean, the, the church hosted by a superpower, always faces challenges. So, you know, that, that's always lurked in the shadows, a temptation toward hmm. uh, Christian nationalism, empire. We can define all these terms if you like. But, but now it seems to have metastasized very quickly and is really a, a, a deep challenge to our witness. Yes. So hmm. why now for the book is because we're in a pressing crisis, urgent need to yeah. name this. Maybe maybe give us a sense of, your sense of, why is what's always been latent in the American consciousness, the myth of America has always been wedded to a promised land. Um, right. Right, uh, mythology. But yeah. why is it metastasizing? I think I did that right. Yeah. Why is it yeah. growing so word. quickly right now? What is the cultural catalyst for that? Man, I don't know. You might need to ask a sociologist this question rather than whatever I am. <laughs> uh, I think I think it has something to do with we've now had an entire generation of you understand that until about 1980. Uh, evangelicals were were um, today we would regard it as stunningly apolitical. Hmm. You know, I mean, they were just sort of you know you could be a Democrat, you could be a Republican, you could not you know care at all. 
that was pretty much the way it was. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm 60 years old. Dang. <laughs> I just turned 60, so I'm still not used to that. It's like, oh, man. Well, I, I'm old enough to remember Roe versus Wade. Hmm. You know, I, I was, see, that was 74, is that right? I think it's 74. Right. So I was 15. So I do remember it, but I remember it not being a big deal. I remember people saying things. I was in a Baptist church. I remember people saying, well, that's a Catholic thing. That's a, that's a Catholic thing. Huh. And, uh, it, it just funny. wasn't a thing with evangelicals until it was made a thing largely by Jerry Falwell. Mm-hmm. And so around 1980, you had, see, you had, you had, you had the born again president with Jimmy Carter, 76 to 80, but his presidency was unpopular because of you know, economics and the Iran hostage thing. And then along comes this cowboy, <laughs> Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. It's morning in America. And, uh, and I don't know, Christians just love that guy. Hmm. And you have the birth of the, the, the moral majority, uh, Pat Robertson's Christian coalition, which is, you know, the charismatic version of it. Hmm. And, uh, and suddenly evangelicals were politically energized and they entered the fray with a stunning Naivete. <laughs> I, just, I don't think they understood how um, ugly, how poisonous the, the world of politics could be. Mm. And so, okay, abortion, okay, abortion's wrong, right? I mean, from the Didache, you know, this, this, this second century or maybe late first century Christian manual that almost made it into the canon, from the Didache onward, Christians have said that abortion is incompatible with Christian ethics. That doesn't speak to what we think the, the state position on it should be, but as far as Christian ethics, it's it's incompatible with that. And so we thought, okay, abortion's an evil. Uh, Republicans want to get rid of abortion. Uh, Republicans are on God's side. God's on Republican side. Uh, and then they just became so partisan hmm. so that to be pro-life actually came, has come to mean, to, okay, here's, here's the pro-life positions, anti-abortion, pro-gun, pro-war, uh, anti-health you know care. It's just the Republican platform. Yeah. And so what's happened is, is much of the evangelical world has become – the de facto religious wing of the Republican party. And, and once, once you enter into that with a kind of a team sports thing, I'll give an analogy. I'm a, I'm a lifelong Kansas city chiefs fan. Hey, the Colts, the Colts just signed your, you can't blame me for that. It just happened. No, it's fine. It's fine. But the Colts, we just got one of your defensive ends. Uh, we just signed him. I forget. We're not worried about it. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. All right, Brian. We'll see you in September. <laughs> I, I have two words. Mahomes. <laughs> he is amazing. Okay, so, but, but, yeah. let me stick with this. All right. Yeah. There's nothing, again, we're talking in the, in the, with levity about sports, okay? There's nothing the Oakland Raiders could do <laughs> to get me to like them. 
Right. They could hire N.T. Wright as their coach. It wouldn't matter. I'd hate him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, once you bring that into the political realm, and then you you think God is with us in that, uh, then all critical thought is thrown out the window. (laughs) And I, I think that's what happened. And by the way, I keep using the word evangelical. So even though I grew up in a Baptist church, my, my real spiritual roots are Jesus movement yeah. and, you know, Jesus movement, charismatic, that thing. I never thought of myself as an evangelical. We never called ourselves evangelicals. Evangelicals were Baptists. Hmm. We weren't Baptists. Hmm. And so uh, we were something else. That changed as a result of the culture wars. The culture wars drove Pentecostals and charismatics and everybody all under the same big yeah. So uh, th- this thing has grown up. In other words, it started, I think most Christians went into it with a great innocence and a great, yeah. but it was naive. It was the same dang mistake that was made 17 centuries ago. Oh, we can just have like a Christian Caesar and that'll be good because He's got power. See, we're back on track now. Yep. He's yeah, got yeah. power. He's got a sword, and we can get him to use that sword to do good things. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. And and so that's that's 1980, what 90, 2010. It's coming up on 40 years of this, and mm. now it's full grown and awful and ugly, and uh, doing lasting damage to the witness of the church. And so I wrote this. I wrote yeah. this book for a couple of reasons. I wrote it so I'd be on record. You know, what did Brian do at that time? Well, at least he wrote this book. <laughs> um, that's one thing. But but I but I do want to. I don't know. I, I tell you, who, I, I, nowhere in the book does it say this. But as I wrote the book, here's who I kept thinking about. Here's who I was writing to in my mind. I mean, I hope everybody reads it, (laughs) but who I'm writing to, I'm thinking about the the people that I did life with in my teens and 20s who were Jesus freaks. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the younger ones in the Jesus movement. So I was about as young as you could be and really be involved in it. I was a leader in it by the time I was 17, but most of the people were four or five years older than me. So I'm thinking about these guys that are in their mid-60s now and zealous Trumpers all mixed up with their Christianity. And I'm just wanting to say, what, what have you done? Yeah. How did you go from, you know, being the Jesus freak you were 40 years ago to what you are now? What's happening? I see it as a tragedy. I truly see it as a tragedy. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what would you say then, Brian, to those who would, read your book, maybe one of these buddies, and would uh, would say, well, Brian's just a Democrat in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem with this dualistic, us versus them, stupid grid, left, right, elephant, donkey. I just insist, well, if I'm a Democrat, Democrats are in trouble. <laughs> because... You're coming for them I'm too. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> not. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have zero passion for that. I'm, I mean, first of all, you can. It's a, it's a, it's an objective answer. Are you a Democrat? No. <laughs> right. I'm just not. Check the membership um, roll. But I just refuse to participate and be plotted on that grid. Yeah. If sure. you're, if you're not, 
a Republican, and I'm not, then you must be a Democrat. Well, that that is a stunning lack of imagination, isn't it? Yeah, yes. that it is. we have to be one or the other. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things we're discovering at Gravity is that there's an increasing number of people who feel like they've been cheated or co-opted or uh, betrayed by their right. allegiances to these to the parties of Babylon, if you mm. will, and they're looking for some kind of robust politic, not not political yeah. activism, but some robust way of being in the world that isn't defined by the binary. Yeah. Um, and right. so make- I, I think this is the greatest theological challenge for me. Hmm. And I struggle with it. I know I don't get it right. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I do, but not consistently. Hmm. And that is, and I was talking with my wife yesterday. I think, I think it's impossible not to make mistakes in this arena. Hmm. It is so, it's such a land mind. It's just a you know, landmines, and you're trying to dodge. So on the one hand, I'm not a Christian anarchist. You know what I mean by that? I mean that's an actual all position. government's bad, and we just need to... right. Well, and it's you know it's not Christians out you know spray painting A's on. It's right. it's it's basically the position that says Christians can have no part in government. Right. So for example, I mean I'm on record as as critiquing the waging of war as incompatible with following Jesus. But I make a distinction between police function and the waging of war. Mm-hmm. So um, now I understand that in a, in a dysfunctional, failed state, the line can be either blurred or almost completely erased. But in healthy societies, there is a vast difference between police function and the waging of war. So I, I have no problem with Christians participating in all levels of government. Um, so I'm not a Christian anarchist, but 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 once you it, that thing's like a that has the gravitational pull of a black hole. Once you get too mm. close to it, then all of a sudden, yeah, but th- that power is so seductive. Mm. The ring of power, yeah. yeah, one ring to find them, mm-hmm. one ring to bring them all, one ring to find them. And then the darkness bind them. I don't think I did that quite right, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And I mean, and Tolkien knew what he was talking about. That ring of power is so seductive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so that Boromir spirit. That's, yeah. That's yeah. in the American. Uh, and Boromir is not a bad man. No, he just saw an opportunity. He saw. Well, why don't we? Why don't we? If this, if this thing is so powerful, why don't we use it to do some good? Which is exactly the. The logic that you just described, Brian, that it's like it's of course, everybody's heard this, but let's think it through. Uh, It's the argument, which can be very persuasive, Mm -hmm. that the end justifies the means. That's right. But let's say it this way. The means are the end in the process of becoming. Yeah. Yes. If your if your means is violence, if your means is uh, dirty tactics, if your means is win at all costs, then that's going to be the end. That's where it's yeah. going to take. Yeah, yep. in taking and, those and, means. And this, by the yeah. way, this is how I understand the third wilderness temptation. Mm-hmm. Say more about when that. Jesus, yeah, when Jesus sees all of the kingdoms of the world, you know, kind of a vision, and he sees, okay, you know, there's. Think, think maybe think of it as a sweep of history. You know, there's Egypt, there's Babylon, there's Greece, there's Rome. Mm. Uh, this exerts such influence and suffering upon human beings. Jesus 
with his heart of compassion, wanting to bring something other, the reign and rule of God, the kingdom of God to the world, he thinks, oh, well, there is a direct way to get there. And that is to overthrow the, the present powers that be by the means that they became mm-hmm. rulers, all for good, mm-hmm. for good. But Jesus sees through that and he, pers- he says, no, that's bowing down to the devils what that is. Mm, yes. So where Jesus prevailed in the wilderness in the third temptation, the church, I don't just mean the American evangelical church of the 21st century. I mean, throughout history, the church has regularly failed in that temptation. That's why being uh, a church hosted by a superpower is always such a tremendous challenge. Yes. Yeah. Or empire. Let me use the word. Can, can, I, can, I, can I define Yeah, let's, let's hear what empire is, because empire is a synonym for, uh, Babylon is an empire. So postcards, right. it could be called postcards from empire. Uh, and you're... Yeah. No, yeah. Babylon is the... is the Archetypal. Archetype, thank you. Uh, throughout scripture of uh, of empire, but I, I don't want people to hear me use empire as kind of just an empty word, a pejorative. I mean, I, I for me, it has a definite meaning. Okay. Empires, okay, first of all, we're contrasting empires with nations. God loves nations, as far as I can tell from the Bible, their ethnicity, their diversity, their culture, all of that sort of stuff seems to be celebrated. Um, understanding that that nations in the Bible isn't, you know, geopolitical states yeah. that are modern, that is, Nation you know, states. 16th century onward. Yeah. That's a problem. But, <laughs> and, and that's where I'm off topic here. That's where William <laughs> Kavanaugh's book, um, Migration of the Holy, hmm. is so important. William that, Kavanaugh will wreck your life. Yeah. yeah. Caref- that, careful. He's just another one of Howard Wass's kids out there yeah. stirring up trouble. <laughs> be, be, be careful, kids. <laughs> be careful out there. If you get your hands on yeah. Kavanaugh. So, so anyway, okay, back to, so God loves nations. This is how we see in the Bible, but God's opposed to empire. What is empire? Empires are rich, powerful nations who believe they have a divine destiny to rule other nations and a man, a, a divine, a divine right. Let's say that a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda. The problem with that is that's the very thing that God promises to his son. So empires become idolatrous and a rival to Jesus Christ. What about mm. Christian empires, Brian? No, there, Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> there, there, there is a Christian empire, and it's called the kingdom of God, mm. and it's without coercion. And it's where Christ always reigns from the cross. Yes, there is a Christian empire. It's, it, it's global. It's called the kingdom of God. It's, mm. it's what the church is to embody. That's the kingdom of God. Yeah. It doesn't... It doesn't it has no use for the soul. Hmm. If it if it wages war, if it puts people to death, if it can kill, it's not the kingdom of God. It's just the kingdom of Satan, dressed hmm. up. Yes, the, dressed up w- in Christian clothes. Yeah, yeah. So, hmm. so, and so, so th- th- this is what I mean by Christian nationalism: is it's a conflation of, in our context, of America, and. Christianity. Um, America, again, when I, when I say America, that's another huge word because America isn't one thing. America's four things. America is a nation, right? We get that. It's 50 states, and you see the borders have its history. It's a nation, but it's also a culture. 
So I can leave these 50 states, as I often do, and find America all over the world because it's also a culture. It's also a empire. We've talked about that. And it's a religion. We'll get to that. As a nation and a culture, America is a mixed bag. There's things I can critique, but let's be honest, there's much I can celebrate. Um, that America has, um, as a nation and culture, America has this entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. It's led most of the world through, well, it's led the world through most of the 20th and 21st centuries in technological advancement, scientific discovery, all of that sort of thing uh, that can be celebrated. Mm-hmm. As an empire, it becomes idolatrous and rival to God. As a, as a religion, well, then, of course, then it absolutely is idolatrous. Yeah. When I say America is a religion, I think many people, well, it's not really religion. Well, of course it is, but you're so baptized into it, yeah. you can't see it. Yeah. Um, the great challenge for most American pastors is we're trying to make disciples of people who have already been thoroughly discipled into a rival religion called Americanism, Preach. complete mm. with 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 uh, creation myth, with mm. sacred text, with sacred places, with saints, with holy days. Uh, you go to the if you go to the uh, here's where here's an eruption of the real. If you go to Washington D.C. and go to the Capitol, go in there, look, go into the rotunda, look up, and you see at the top, you see a dome that will be familiar to you if you've been in you know some Catholic cathedrals. But then you go, oh wait, what, what am I seeing here? Well, it's it's called the apotheosis of Washington, apotheosis to make a god up. <laughs> it's 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 a depiction. I mean, I'm laughing, but it's. It's because it's so over the top. It's a depiction of George Washington ascended to heaven, wow. seated upon a cloud with cherubim and angels and all of that sort of thing. Hmm. That's where it's maybe a little bit over the top, but that lurks there all of the time. Yes. Liturgical gestures. Do we have liturgical? You know, I mean, I have all kinds of people that would never do this. Never get the sign of the cross. Themselves, yeah. But, yeah. you know, but, but hand over the, the heart gesture. It's a liturgical gesture. Yes. Hmm. And they'll get upset with you if you don't do it as well. well I know. Right? I know. And I don't sing the national anthem. Um, I don't pledge the allegiance yeah. to the flag, I, to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I do different things at those times. I'll kind of mumble the Lord's Prayer or <laughs> at football games, I because I, football games are already a little bit, you know, there's a violent edge there. Yeah. Again, this I'm, I'm, I said, I've already said I love football. That's what they're going to say about me when I'm gone. They're going to say, well, you know, he was a pretty good guy. He, he tried to speak for peace, but man, he did love his gladiatorial blood sport. <laughs> yep. We can't, we can't all be perfect. <laughs> I, we can't, you know, I just can't help it. But, but uh, when the national anthem's about, to, I mean, I'm, I didn't learn how to time it. I'm talking about at an NFL stadium. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, I can see it's coming. It's like, you know what? I need a hot dog. <laughs> I just get out. <laughs> I, uh, Strategically. Yeah. yeah. I've started kneeling in the stands, and people love that. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, okay, Brian. So what? You're, let me connect some dots here. You're saying that we have, as a, as a Western evangelical church in America, we have made an alliance with and an allegiance to a type of power, a quality of power that is uh, distinctly and definitively in conflict with the kingdom of God. Yes. Yes. All, exactly. all probably like with 
Good intentions. Good intentions, right? You, you mentioned the word yes, naive. Done with a certain amount of innocence, right? Like, yeah, oh, this would this would be a good idea. But we are wanna, in, are entered board. into with innocence, right. but yes. at some point we become complicit. Uh, it's it. no longer innocent, yep. and 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 yep. if you can't see it, it's because you don't want to see it. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, really, is kind of the Boromir delusion. Um, Character from <laughs> Lord of the Rings, by the way, if you've never read that. Yes. <clears throat> so so then, Brian, most of our imaginations <clears throat> on how to live with power is to opt out anarchy. Or to <clears throat> try to, <clears throat> I'm so choked up. <laughs> America, I love you. <laughs> you You're uh, having, please having be a rough safe. time here. No, it's, it's either opt out or to, mm-hmm. you know, grab the ring and and do some good. Um, but in your book, Postcards from Babylon, you, you try to carve out a space of faithfulness hmm. as a exiled people who participate right. for the good of the country without perpetuating the evil of empire. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this, this problem that I'm trying to address is addressed in Scripture. Um, so you, so you, have, you, have, uh, you have the people of God in the Old Testament, and in 587, this great catastrophe befalls them. Their holy city is defiled, destroyed. The temple's burned down. And much of the populace is carried off in, into forced deportation, exile in Babylon. Well, what do you do now? And this is, this is where the Jewish people are so, so remarkable. They didn't just assimilate. I mean, this is what you did in the ancient world. I mean, you know, you got all of these gods and your people are defeated by another people. Well, their gods must be more powerful. So you at least incorporate their gods into your pantheon. Uh, but, you know, the Jews chosen by God carrying the revelation of monotheism, that's a no-go for them. I mean, they just can't do that. I mean, it's it's monotheism or bust for the Jewish people. Right. And so they can't just start worshiping Bell and Ebal and all the rest. But they've lost their place. And so they're living as exiles in a foreign land. What do you do? Well, that's what, that's what the book of Daniel's about. Hmm. And so you, you have these, these righteous characters, Daniel and his friends, who are not only living in Babylon making a living. They're actually serving in the government. So the message is, look, yeah, you can, you can participate a lot. You can seek, you know, as Jeremiah says, seek the prosperity, seek the welfare, seek the well-being of the city in which I've caused you to dwell as exiles. So they can, they can be governors. They can participate in, but there's always going to be a challenge. There's lion's dens, there's fiery furnaces, yeah. And you, so you have to have determined, okay, where's the line that I won't cross? And that's, uh, if we can do a little bit of scholarship stuff here. Yeah, let's do it. Um, uh, most scholars, and I'm persuaded by this, believe that Daniel was written about 150 BC. So it's not, it's, 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 it's actual, it was actually written during the time of the Seleucid persecution these are the Greek Syrians, persecution mm. of the Jewish people. And it's written with this intent, how to teach young men to be faithful to Yahweh, but not get killed. Hmm. 
the threat because this was this is during the think of you know Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes who launched his uh, forced Hellenization program upon the Jewish people trying to make them become Greeks and not be Jews yes well instead of just addressing it directly this this book was composed with it being set several centuries earlier drawing upon their memory of Babylonian exile. Hmm. And so people reading that in a contemporary fashion in the, in around the year 150 BC would hear these stories and it's a, it's telling them, okay, so I, I, I get it. I can, I can participate to a certain extent, but there has to be lines I won't cross. Yeah. And so, so, so you have that. Then you get over to the new Testament and in the first epistle of Peter, um, the writer is from Rome. We, we know the writers, we know Peter's in Rome because at the end he says, she who is in Babylon, Greece, which is basically the inspiration for my book title. Mm-hmm. And, and the, that's a cryptic reference to Rome. Right. So the, book, the, of, the book of First Peter Rome, is a postcard from Babylon. Yeah. yeah. And it's written to Christians. And at this point, all Christians are new Christians. <laughs> this, you know, this is the right. first generation. This is a, every Christian, especially in the Gentile world, is a new Christian. So he's writing to these new Christians, and he lists the provinces at the beginning of the book. They're all in the Eastern Empire, the, the Eastern provinces of the Roman Empire, which is where the cult of emperor worship arose. It was in the East. Yeah. And he addresses them as exiles. Now, they're not exiles in a literal sense. They, they're not they're not people that are, they're not refugees. They've not experienced a forced deportation. They have, they're not immigrants. They've grown up there all their lives. But what Peter is trying to get them to see is by virtue of their baptism, they are now exiles. They're foreigners. They're strangers. They're, they now are expats in the land of their birth. So you have to change the way you think. And uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to do with my postcards. I'm trying to get American Christians to think of themselves as exiles. Yeah. When you- or, or, let me let me just finish this with this yeah. with this thought. And then, but here's the big deal in the book. I'm I want to help Christians, especially of some evangelical variety, to see America as a kind of biblical Babylon, not as a kind of biblical Israel. That is a huge paradigm shift. Yeah, Once you make it, it changes everything. Yeah, and when we're, we're using the word uh, American evangelical, and I think the Im- we're implying white evangelical, yeah? Because, yeah. because the black church, the, yeah. the Latino with, with church— With only a few rare exceptions, that's the case, yes. Yeah, because I think minority churches, churches of non-majority white European descent have— They've, they've known what it is to live as exiles forever. Yes, yeah. right, yeah. because they've had to. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so there is a sense in which I think we have a lot to learn from the black church. Well, okay. So let me let me comment on that. So in in some ways, the easiest way, the easiest path for me that I could still see it as a kind of faithfulness is to really just completely disengage from any political involvement. Just try to be above the fray. Mm-hmm. So uh, for years, let's let's use presidential elections as an example. For years, I would still I would go to the polls because I didn't want to see be seen to be a- apathetic. I would go to the polls and I would dutifully cast my vote for Bob Dylan or <laughs> for Wendell Berry. Or one year it was Treebeard. You know, I would always <laughs> and, and I'd done that for years, 
but then in 2016, I thought, you know, that could be a real position of privilege on my part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Middle-class, white, male, however the deal goes down, I'm probably going to be all right. So is my staying above the fray a lack of compassion? So what I did, I went and found one of our uh, undocumented immigrants in our church, a person that I know, a family I know very, very well. You know, I've spent personal money hiring immigration attorneys trying to help them to no avail because it's an impossible situation. But I went to him. I said, look, uh, we got this here election coming up. You may have heard about it. (laughs) And uh, you can't vote. And I don't think that's right because you've got more skin in the game than I do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my vote. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Pray about it. Read about it if you like. Doesn't matter to me. And uh, a couple of days before the election, I'll come see you. You tell me who you want to vote for. And I'll just go to your, I'll go to the poll as your surrogate. I'm your errand boy. Hmm. I'll go cast. So that's what I did. Hmm. You know, um, so because I thought, well, it's, it's too easy for me to stay above the fray. There are those that have um, something to gain or lose in this election. And so I, I represented at least one family of, in that way. But, but that's tricky. And, and by the way, I was up front. I told my church I was doing this. I didn't say who the family was, but mm-hmm. I actually told my church I was doing this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most <laughs> of them were cool with it. Yeah. Some of it, you know, some, some of the, well, I'll be honest, because they kind of had a guess how that vote might go. <laughs> and some of the Fox News, I don't have many, many Fox News Christians anymore, but a few of them, they're, they're kind enough. And they came up to me and they said, that's illegal. I said, no, it's not. I said, you have Fox News tell you who to vote for. I'm having these people tell me who to vote for. You know, yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all have our counselors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my vote <sighs> still. Yeah. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that, that last example, I think, is a really good way of um, kind of trying to understand or, or, or being sensitive enough, right, to the situation to realize, okay, the way that I'm, the way that I'm automatically sort of uh, entering into this, like the voting example is a good one, like the way I automatically enter into it is oftentimes informed by assumptions of power and privilege that I'm not even aware of unless I'm, you know, unless I'm listening, unless I'm, unless I'm listening, to, especially to people who have more to gain or lose, you know, yeah. uh, especially right. if I have, so I have to have this openness, right? Um, to especially uh, marginalized voices to understand, to help me understand what I can't understand from my vantage point. Yep. And this is one of the, I think, the the main captivities of living in empire. You know, the the lectionary text for this Sunday is Luke 13, where... When we're recording this, anyway. Yeah, 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 where Jesus is saying, uh, when some people are like, hey, remember when Pilate slaughtered those Galileans? Yeah. And Jesus is like, well, just because bad things happen to the people you hate doesn't right. mean you're safe. Right, mm-hmm. uh, or doesn't mean you can't. You're going to escape, right? So you repent too. And there's mm-hmm. this there's this sense of what Jesus well, is. Go let's ahead. look a little bit more at that. Text come on, come on, because, man. Because uh, you're uh, preaching say, the lectionary too now, aren't you? Yeah, I am. In fact, as soon as we get done, I'm going to write the sermon on it. But I'm already thinking about it. <laughs> so um, they apparently there were some Galilean pilgrims, maybe staged a revolt at the temple. They're there to offer sacrifices, and they get sacrificed. Uh, they get killed, yeah. and and they re- they report this news. Apparently, it's like contemporary; it's happening now. And and what do you, you hear, Jesus? What happened? And Jesus says, "Well, yeah, um, 
do you think that they're worse sinners than ever and anyone else? In, unless you, no, unless you rethink everything, yes. you're going to perish in the same way. Yes. And then he brings up, remember that that building in Siloam fell on those people, killed all them. Do you think that they're they're more blameworthy than anyone else? No, unless you start rethinking, that's what's going to happen to you too. And it's what he's saying is if you don't rethink this hell bent for revolution virus that's in you, yep. you're all going to die by Roman swords and collapsing buildings. Yes. I mean, it's an allusion to AD 70. Yes, What's it looming? Yeah. It's looming. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's the, that's how you go to hell as a nation is you assume that God is on your side and you just go off into wars because you have a divine sanction to do so. And Jesus says, no, man, that's, that's, how, that's why he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He weeps yeah. over this. Yeah. Yes. I, I want to I uh, double-click on something you said, Brian, because I think it challenges us. When we see the word repentance hmm. in Scripture, I think, I think the, our dominant imagination for that is, I've done something bad, and I have yeah. to be sorry for it and turn away from right. that bad thing. To feel bad about it. And, and then feel bad about it and amend my ways. Yeah. What... what you're describing and how Jesus uses the word. I don't want to say that's not a part of repentance, but also a part of repentance is a rethinking your thinking. That's where it's rooted in. Rethinking your thinking. It may lead to some sort of moral uh, adjustment, but it's reponse, rethink, have new thoughts. Hmm. I have to rethink this in the light of Christ. Yep. Mm. And and much of Jesus' teaching is like shaking up the thinkers of people because they're, they're locked in this what you're describing in your book as this closed loop antagonistic violent system and they have to yeah. they have to get into the kingdom of god headspace mm. amen yeah amen. well Brian we we uh so deeply appreciate um all the work you do uh i mean seven seven books in 8 years you said 10 years 10 years yeah. seven books in 10 years i feel like uh, you mentioned tom Wright earlier he writes like seven books in 10 months i don't no, know how, how does that guy do that <laughs> I mean, he'll, he'll write something like simply Jesus in a weekend, you know, <laughs> on, the, on the plane. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. That's <laughs> yeah, but uh, your, your writing is a gift to the church. And just, uh, just so you know, we've, we've hosted a few of your prayer schools and we've, we've co-hosted them with you. And I, people... And, and by the way, those have all been really good ones. Yeah, they really I have. I don't know what it is. Like, you seem to attract, you know, the right kind of person that's... Well, what we're talking about here, here, yeah, what yeah. we're talking about here is is the kind of persons who are connected to gravity, and I think connected to you, Brian, and yeah. they're looking for a way to inhabit life in an empire uh, with a new imagination, because they see how, you know, corrupt, bereft, demonic, even mm. the ways we have. Yeah. Uh, anyway, people thank us for the prayer school all the time, and yeah. I, and I wanted to give you just a brief moment here at the end to talk about water to wine. Um, yeah. this gathering yeah. that you're hosting this summer, right? Can you tell us about that a little bit? Well, yeah, let me just take a moment. I, I hear from pastors probably every day, you know, it's probably not an exaggeration. They'll reach out to me in one way or another, that they are feeling the falseness that's prevailing in American Christianity, and they're looking for something better. And they'll want to come meet with me, and I'm happy to do that. But then I thought, well, why don't we just have a whole bunch of people come all at once, Mm -hmm. and we can make some new friends? Because to navigate this very difficult time in the American Christian experience, you don't want to do it by yourself. You want some friends with you that you can talk about this in a safe way. They're not going to, you know 
turn on you. So we, we did this gathering last year. We're doing it again this year, June 13, 14, 15. Perry and I, my wife and I, will be presenting and speaking along with uh, Sarah Bessie's going to be with us, Jonathan Martin, Bredgers. I can't be with us this year. He just can't be. I'm, I'm forgiving him, but I'm hurt. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's got a family thing he cannot miss. Yeah. Um, Cheryl Bridges-Johns is going to be with us. Do you know her? Uh, I know of her. Yeah. Don't yeah her. She's great, man. She's a, she's a Pentecostal scholar, preacher, Ooh. thinker. Who else is going to be? Rich Velodos, right? Richard Velodos, yeah, he's going to be with us. I think I named everybody. And um, it, it was a big hit last summer. So I, I, I we didn't necessarily say we're going to do this in, per, to, in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. We just did it last year. That man had so much life. Let's That's let's do it again this year. Yeah. People yeah. Wanna, in fact, I don't know when this when you're going to air this, but there is a early bird discount that ends April 1st Ooh. and um, coming right up and um, just go, just go to water to wine gathering.com. Yep. If you go to water to wine.com, you'll just get wine. <laughs> but if you go to water to wine gathering.com, you'll find us and find out how to register. And I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, we went last year. Matt Matt and I went last year. It was uh, it was really refreshing. It was like a really a, good time to be together. It was like a wedding reception revival. Like <laughs> like really, that was the like energy yeah, yeah. and the flavor of it. Yeah. And yeah, uh it's good. I like that. It was beautiful. It was good. We met we met some uh some new friends uh there that I really have come And to that was my hope that that would happen that people yep. would make friends. Yep, that was it. And that's where Jonathan Martin got the idea to name his church the table. In Nashville, he yeah. was. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I yeah. actually thought that might be true. I was it, like, oh, it, really? I don't know. We uh, talked yeah. about it, so yeah, maybe okay. he was like, oh, "I'm going to put a pin in that." Yeah. Anyway, Brian, we'll let you go. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, man. Uh, God bless you. Thank you, guys. I love what you're doing. Blessings to you. Thanks. I mean that. Thanks. Thanks. And uh, go Colts, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you 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 have no idea how traumatized Chiefs fans have been by the Colts for decades. Oh. I mean, Chiefs have lost four heartbreaking games to the Colts. Mm. And so this year, you know, you, you know the playoff game. Yeah. It was never really in question. It wasn't close. Nope. Chiefs no. pretty much had control of that game the whole game. Yeah. I guarantee you every every Chief fan just sat there with okay, <laughs> when's it all going to fall apart? When is, when's it going to go bad? When, right. How are we going to lose this game? Yes. So, uh, all right, well we're yes. we're even now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> We've we've had those uh, moments as Colts fans as well. So, all right, all right. See you next time, everybody. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.